I'm Norman Thurek from Pitcher Pharmacy, and I'm joined today by Andrew Topp, pharmacist and group business manager of the Capital Chemist Group. Welcome, Andrew. Hi, Norman. How are you today? Excellent. Thank you. Andrew, the last couple of years has been really challenging for pharmacy. There's been lots of opportunity, but there's been a, a few headwinds uh, for pharmacy. Um, you just talk to us about what you've seen in your group as some of the, the big challenges. Oh, well, certainly the biggest challenge that I think that our ownership group and myself and a lot of our staff is the 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 never-ending stress and anxiety that the pandemic's caused. And look, pharmacy's not unique in that. All of society is feeling that, but there doesn't seem to be much end to it. I mean, we've had challenges with customer access where for months at a time, our pharmacies have literally been closed to most people, serving them literally from the footpath. Um, the, the Providing a safe working environment for staff, because none of us like working behind masks and screens all day, but that's what we're doing. Uh, staff availability, we've had staff in quarantine and isolation. We've had staff who've basically just said, I can't do this anymore. Um, the great resignation that we hear of is certainly something that we're experiencing a little bit of. Um, we've got morale issues and burnout issues, and we've worked really, really hard to provide as much mental health support, in, in, in some cases, just physical support, you know, send them a basket of chocolates or something like that to make sure that everybody knows that we're thinking of them. But it would be wrong to think that a couple of blocks of Cadbury is going to make everybody feel all right. And I appreciate pharmacy is not unique in that situation, but we certainly are feeling that pain. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, the pharmacies really excelled, I think, at being the front line of healthcare. When you think about the, um, the number of pharmacies around the country that stayed open, um, pretty much all the way through when they could. Um, yet other providers uh, were able to work from home, work remotely, um, close up shop um, and so forth. I think we were lucky in Canberra's second wave, which was August of last year, we had one pharmacy hit. It was actually the first location in Canberra. It was not a great day, let me tell you, but we managed to cobble together enough staff to keep that pharmacy uh, open almost functioning normally and we had one pharmacy that was completely devastated and they were able to get a couple of ex-staff but they really could only run on a couple of hours a day doing the absolute bare minimum but by and large we have actually had quite good trade which is a bit of a paradox and I've got to say there's a tiny bit of guilt that comes from that because not every industry's had that luxury and not every pharmacy's had that luxury either it's our um our typical pharmacy would be in the local community shopping centre. It won't be in the big Westfield. Um, it's generally not in a high rent environment and it's quite accessible. And that seems to have resonated, particularly as people move home to work and they're continuing to work from home. Um, their local places become much more important to them. And that's, that's worked to our favour, um, which is a bit of a paradox, but there we go. Yeah, that's a great point you make, Andrew. Um, we've seen that shift of workers and where they're working from, and, and that may continue, it may not. But if we then, if we look at the, the challenges that have happened, out of every challenge comes an opportunity in my mind. And if we look at it with um, a clear lens, maybe after a good night's sleep, you know, what do you think are the opportunities for pharmacy for the next uh, you know, four or five years? So 
we have this new cohort of patients who either never came to our pharmacy because they were working in the city or they, they, they weren't shopping locally, but now they are, or people who've never even seen pharmacy as healthcare providers who've had a pretty spectacular vaccine experience, efficient, timely, professional, and perhaps people have never really seen pharmacists in that light. So how do we turn those brownie points into an ongoing relationship? And that's certainly our focus for the coming years. Um, all of these people who now see pharmacists with, I'll, I'll say a new level of respect, but just an understanding of what we can do. Um, how do we keep them and how do we engage with them and and own them is not quite the right word, but really deliver value to them in the healthcare space. Andrew, if we go back to... Um... 2020 when this all started um, of course that was the end of the uh, sixth agreement and the seventh agreement started on 1 July 2020. So we've had this overlay of a pandemic with the introduction of the seventh agreement. The seventh agreement was quite a positive outcome but but the, the Guild's done a lot of work since then in terms of um, negotiating and deriving some income for pharmacy for the services it delivers. Um, how has your group adopted and adapted to that in the last 18 months? So the, the big, I call them income sources, but they're really offsetting the expenses that we're getting. Deliveries have grown astronomically, and I realise that the delivery pandemic delivery fee has been sort of scaled back a little bit to be now restricted to people who are truly vulnerable. Um, but, you know, we went from, well, we, we always had pharmacies who had quite formalised delivery services with, in some cases, three delivery vehicles out on the road all the time. And they will continue to do that, except, gosh, they've been doing a lot more of it. Um, but even the ones that just, you know, have an ad hoc delivery service on from a staff member on the way home, that's grown through the roof. Um, you know, three or four hundred percent increase in deliveries has needed to be managed. Um, the vaccine income is welcome. I would argue vociferously that it's just unfair and it's not a profit centre. Vaccines are not, nobody's getting wealthy on their vaccination services, but we have to do it and the public expects us to do it and the profession wants to do it, but it is just so unfair that we get, you know, 40% less than the doctors over the course of a full course of vaccination. Um, they're, they're the two big ones. But the challenge has also been, how do we keep regular business going? We're distracted by um, huge vaccination. I know in our group, if you'd said to me in this time last year that we would have done 60,000 vaccines in seven months or something like that, I would have just said, don't be ridiculous. There's no way that can happen. And lo and behold, it did. Um, and I think pharmacies above 5 million now. Maybe even more. Um, it rose to the occasion. Uh, we, it, it did, um, but it, it, it came at a cost. I mean, we, we had to change our spaces. We had to change our workflows. Um, when we didn't have the luxury of just hiring more staff because uh, Canberra's not unique, there is a shortage of pharmacists. Um, so we had to do it with the resources that we had. And so that has meant that the basic pharmacy function, which is supply of medicines and advice and adequate advice to use those medicines correctly. Um, when you've only got limited resources, something's got to give. So our focus as we move away from this somewhat chaotic vaccination, um, huge demand into a more normal, regular, this is what it's going to be like ongoing, is we have to get back to those basics. Um, longer conversations with customers, 
whether it's a formal meds check or an informal chat in a consult room for the patient who's just come out of hospital and is completely bamboozled by what they've got and what's being done to them, that's where we have to have to get back to um, because that's what we do. And I cannot foresee a pharmacy where that's not our core business. In fact, I don't really want to think of a pharmacy where that's not our, not our core business. That's what I like doing and that's what I feel we do particularly well. And the members of your group do that well. Uh, well, we do tend to win the odd prize here or there, yes. On balance, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that um, brings me to my next um, point, Andrew, is, is this customer engagement model. And, and I have, a, I have a, a view that it has changed and maybe changed forever because of these services that have come about in the last 18 months, two years. What's the brand doing in terms of fostering that customer engagement in a marketing sense or even at street level in the pharmacy? Uh, that, that second question is really easy to answer. Um, it's pharmacist availability. Um, and I'm very proud of the fact that in my 20 plus years as a member of Capital Chemist, I've seen our pharmacies change from the typical one pharmacist churning out 300 scripts a day to five, six, seven or 10 pharmacists on duty at any given point in time, albeit that's our larger stores, but even in smaller stores, there'll be two or three. Customer engagement with pharmacist is king. If they can't have access to the pharmacist as a default, and I don't mean the pharmacist might deign to come and serve them. I mean, the, the pharmacist is the person that they deal with from the time they hand their script in till the time they head off to the cash register. Um, that's our point of difference. That requires an investment in staff. And as we know, staff costs are expensive and becoming more so, but we just have to do it because without that, it's just a purely retail transaction. Yes. That, that, that point about um, multiple pharmacists and access to pharmacists in, in, in the pharmacies that you've got actually gets me thinking, well, where have all these pharmacists gone? Why, why have we got a pharmacist shortage? And I suspect it's because those like yourselves that have embraced the multiple pharmacists on the roster at every hour open have actually absorbed a bunch of excess as well? Yes. Noting that half of our stores are in the ACT, we do have we have a little thing called the public service here that's not quite so prominent in the rest of the country. Um, TGA and Department of Health absorbs a lot of pharmacists. In fact, I've heard that the TGA is the largest single employer of pharmacists in the country. So we do lose pharmacists to the public service. We also have to pitch wages to that level as well, which as I said, is a, is a cost. Just um, thinking about that that um, change of model and the multiple pharmacist aspect within the pharmacy, what, what's the patient response mean? Well, I haven't spoken to every single one of them, but I'd have to say based on our, our performance numbers, script growth and customer growth, and um, my guesstimation is that the industry is a couple of points positive for script growth, but probably a couple of points negative for customer growth in the typical community pharmacy, ignoring the big box discounters. Whereas ours are both in close to or above double digit and have been year on year on year. Um, there's not too many pharmacies or groups of pharmacies that would be getting eight, nine, 10% growth in script volume, customer counts, like for like stores. So I think the public speaks with their feet. They like it. And we like doing it to them too, which is, that's a great mix, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and we, we do focus on health and we're you know, quite proud of that fact. You typically won't see huge amounts of giftware or 
cosmetics, etc. noting that some pharmacies historically have a portion of that, their shop devoted to that, but the vast bulk of our business is, is health. It's medicinal, medical, health-related, um, specialised pharmacy services, specialised products um, with much less focus on all that other stuff. And it's interesting because the other day I sort of was listening secondhand to a conversation about an, from another group about how they were going to solve their problems and for them it was all about increasing increasing basket size by selling more giftware and it was particularly candles and I thought oh good heavens <laughs> if our future rests on selling large numbers of scented candles then I think we've probably got a bit of a problem. <laughs> yeah, that's right that's right Andrew if I can just switch our, our, our conversation a little bit away from the stalls from a, for a moment and, and just think about um, the capital group and the the role that the head office is playing in a support mechanism for stores. Um, can I ask what what what's the group's view and what's being leveraged at the moment or into the future, or you know, assuming you can tell me, um, to provide pharmacy the assistance with them building out their model? Because you know, there's there's sometimes the pharmacy looks at the head office and says, "Well, what are you doing for me?" But what are you trying to help the stores with? Our, our job, or my job at head office, and we're a fairly lean team of about 20 people, is to help the stores do all those things that get in the way of being a good pharmacist. So we will be helping them with their HR. We'll be running their payroll. It shouldn't be a pharmacist owner or a pharmacist employee, for that matter, running payroll. For heaven's sake, we're healthcare professionals. Let, let specialists in payroll do that. Um, we've got a, a big accounting team because we need good, solid, strong reporting and data to make, because we make decisions on that data, so we want it to be robust. Um, maintaining their point of sale, uh, maintaining their pricing so that they don't have to think about that. Uh, supply chain disruption prevention, for want of a better word, because we know that there are challenges getting stuff. Um, and I think that's something that we do do particularly well. If you surveyed a capital chemist partner or staff member, what's the thing they like most? It's the fact that we just don't run out of stuff. And that's because we've got people dedicated to looking in the crystal ball and working out what the next problem is going to be, be it metformin or be it rapid antigen tests and and, and dealing with that. Um, oh, look, we look after their marketing. Um, it's a fairly modest marketing program, but it revolves around them and their communities. All of that's designed to make their lives easier so that they can be better pharmacists with the public and, dare I say, to make them more profitable. Because if we move together as a strong group of compliant 50 pharmacies, as opposed to a few stores who've got some ideas in one direction and other ideas in another, we will inf be infinitely more profitable, stable, viable, professionally satisfying and providing better health outcomes to our patients. I guess our listeners would like to know from you, being the, the group business manager, how, how do you see the future of pharmacy? I must admit, I don't know what five years' time looks like. Um, in fact, at the moment, I'm just focused on making sure that my members can get through today, tomorrow, next week, next month, supported with the myriad changes that have been thrown at them and inflicted upon them, um, making sure that they can react quickly and nimbly to whatever Mother Nature and community throws at them. Um, when I look five years down the track, it's big picture stuff like making sure that we are doing those basics properly. Um, and so we will continue to support our stores to do that. Andrew, it's been wonderful to uh, speak to you today. Thank you for your time and we will see you soon. Hope to see you face to face, in fact. Exactly. Thank you, Andrew. I'm Norman Thurek from Pitcher Pharmacy. 
and I've been in conversation with Andrew Top, Group Business Manager from the Capital Chemist Group.